Hello and welcome to Rewrite Your Story, where we discover ways to use pain as a platform to live with renewed purpose. I'm Chandra, your host, and I'm delighted to have you join me on this journey. In this podcast, I'll offer tools and tips to help you rewrite your story personally, professionally, spiritually, or relationally. Subscribe now and tune in each week as we revisit the pain of our past to glean a different perspective and live with renewed purpose. I truly believe that regardless of your circumstances, it's not too late to redeem your past and rewrite your future. So grab pen and paper or your favorite notes app and let's get started. Welcome to Rewrite Your Story and thanks for joining me again for another episode. Today's topic is pain. That's right. I want to begin by talking about pain. I have yet to meet anyone who likes pain. I don't like pain. There's nothing pleasant to me about pain, but I've learned that with life comes pain. We can't avoid it just like we can't predict it. Pain comes because life happens. I'll talk a little more about why we have to experience pain here in the earth, but we do. But I want to begin with a few questions as you think about pain and ask you, how have you processed pain in your life? Have you buried it away never to think about it again? Or did you become angry and vowed saying, I'll never let that happen to me again, or I'll never trust them again? Can you identify the coping skills you developed to protect yourself from past pain, present pain, and future pain? And what lies do you believe about the experience that you have carried into the present? These are all questions I want to unpack as we look at pain, because in order to rewrite our story, we must have a clear understanding of pain and how we process it. As we begin this podcast, think of one painful experience that had an impact on your life. It could be abandonment by a parent, an affair of a spouse, the loss of a loved one, or being hurt by someone in the church. Think about how that painful experience has impacted your life personally, professionally, relationally, spiritually, or emotionally. How did you live before the experience and how have you lived since that painful experience? How did this experience impact your relationships with others? And what would you do differently today? Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive in Jesus' name as we look at pain. What is pain? The dictionary defines pain as severe emotional, mental, or physical discomfort. Severe emotional, mental, or physical discomfort. Another definition is mental or emotional distress or suffering. It could be a broken heart, physical abuse, sexual abuse, rejection, neglect, just to name a a few. There are so many ways that we can experience pain. Pain can come from disappointment. Pain can come from the loss of a job or the loss of a home. Pain can come from the loss of a friendship that we valued. Or pain can be induced by ourselves in decisions that we make. So why is there pain in the world and why do we suffer? My best definition is sin. It it is our missing the mark, the brokenness of man, our rebellious nature to want to do things our own way. And I truly believe that there is an enemy at work. 
there is an enemy. If you're Christian, we, his name is Satan. We call him Satan or the devil. I do believe that there is good and evil in the world and that God is good and the devil is evil. And because God gave us a will, we have that will to choose whether we're going to do good or we're going to do evil. We are not robots. God did not create us to be robots. He gave us that will so that we could choose so that it would be up to us. And we couldn't say, God made me do it. We live in this world with broken people who sometimes choose to do bad things. And I'm not exempt and neither are you. If you think about your life, like I think about my life, I'm often reminded of the bad choices that I've made choices that were not good choices, even though I knew better. And so because we're not robots and we have the will to choose good or evil, we experience pain. There is pain that comes from relationships. There is pain that comes from life experiences. There's pain that comes because the earth is groaning for the return of Christ. And so we experience things like tornadoes and earthquakes, which cause pain when we lose homes to flooding and fires and things of that nature. There are so many ways that we experience pain. I talk about pain because I believe that even though we experience pain, pain does not have to paralyze us and pain does not have to imprison us. Pain doesn't have to be the master of our life. We can choose how we live with pain. Think about it. We can't avoid it. It's going to happen. So since I know that I'm going to experience pain and I'm going to have this in my life, now how can I be proactive and respond to it in a way that I have control? It's similar to maintenance on a car. We know that a car can't run forever that sooner or later you have to have new tires, you need to have the oil changed, the transmission is going to wear out, you need washer fluid. Um, those are things that you need. And so preventative maintenance is you take it in every three to 5,000 miles and get that oil changed so that it can last longer. You make sure you get that tune up so that the engine can last longer and you can run longer. You get tires, every 10, 20, 30,000 miles, I don't know the exact number, but every so often you've got to get new tires to keep running. So, because you know, if you don't, it's going to break down. You're going to experience life with that car. And with pain, we are going to experience pain. So our preventative maintenance or our way of being proactive is to decide on the front end how we're going to respond to pain. But I think when we talk about rewriting our story, the best thing to do is to to learn how we have responded to pain in the past. And so I want to talk about some invisible weights. I often refer in my coaching session to these invisible weights of pain that keep us bound and prevent us from moving forward. I call them invisible because many times we don't identify them. We don't see them because they've become a part of our life. They have been ingrained in our, into our life. They've been woven into our life. And some of the things that we do are so natural that we don't even realize that we are wrapping ourselves up in this blanket of weight these invisible chains that are holding down, holding us down. And so let's begin. I want to start with vows. There's vows that we make, vows which are a solemn promise, a pledge, an oath that we make. Something specific we say when we experience pain, like I'm not gonna let this happen to me again or this will never happen to me again. That's a vow. The second thing is we develop coping mechanisms. It's our way of 
protecting ourselves from experiencing that type of pain again when we try to cope we struggle to deal with or overcome these problems or difficulties and we put these protective measures in place to protect us again from experiencing that again it could be um, for me I protected my heart and so I would have this close distant relationship with you in other words I could be open but not intimate because I wasn't going to share my whole heart with you because I knew I believe in a matter of time, you would break it. There are vows, there's coping, and then there are lies. Lies are deception. It's something that is not true. Lies are false and they are misleading. When I experience pain, I begin to believe lies about myself and about the experience. The first lie I believed when I was sexually abused by the pastor was that it was my fault. I would actually say to myself, it was my fault. I should have known better. It was my fault. And that lie began to replay over and over and over in my mind until it began to take root. And I don't know what lies you believe, but I believe that there becomes this series of lies that are shrouded or or covered in shame and guilt that calls us to then isolate and live out in a way to again, protect ourselves or cope and to continue to make more vows about what we will not let happen to us again. I said there were four, right? Vows, coping, lies, and roots. And roots I could have started with, but I want to end with it and then I'll go back and start with it. Roots are something that is an origin or source. So roots are in the ground. We see them all the time with plants. When we plant a seed, the roots begin to form. And from the roots, the plant forms. I often ask people when they talk about places of pain, the question I ask is, what is the root? And in the easiest way is who, what, when, where, how? Who, what, when, where, how? I know you probably feel like you're in English class again. Who, what, when, where, how? When did it happen? When was your first experience with this type of pain? Who caused it? What happened? Or what did that person do to you? What did they say to you? What coping skills did you develop at that time in order to protect yourself from this type of pain? What vows did you make? What did you say you would not allow to happen again? Or what did you say you would do to protect yourself? And then what lies do you believe about what happened? When you begin to look at that situation, what lies do you believe about what happened? So there are vows, there's coping, there are lies, and there are roots. Let me say that again. Vows, which is our promise, coping, which is our protection, lies, which is deception, and roots are the source. That is the starting place for it all. Now, why is all of this important? This is important because we have in our brain what is called a hippocampus. The hippocampus is the part of our brain that forms memories, learning, and regulates our emotions. Now think about that. Our hippocampus forms memories, it teaches us things, and it regulates our emotions. Typically what happens, and let me say again, I'm not a therapist. I've just studied the brain and things like that for a long time. Um, but I have to put that disclaimer out there. 
But typically what happens when we have traumatic experience or these memories are being formed with emotions. So think about it. Memories and emotions are formed and they create a track. If you think of a train track in our brain and it happens in our hippocampus, our hippocampus stores these memories of trauma, these memories of emotions. And just like with uh, any path that is created or marking that's made, when you continue to travel down the same path or the same emotion and experience the same thing over and over, a track is created. And so in our brain, this memory is created where we begin to sense before it happens, similar emotions. So let's talk about this for example. Have you ever been talking to someone and they said something that triggered an emotion in you and you didn't know what happened? You just know it took you to a place that kind of caught you off guard and it really wasn't the person. It was something that stirred in you. That was your hippocampus. They said something that triggered an emotion from a memory that could have been five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. But because that memory that emotion is attached to it, that experience is with it, those words they spoke connected to what's in your hippocampus, it triggered something in you. That hippocampus then has to be rewritten. And so when we begin to look at these vows and these coping mechanisms, these lies that we experience, we have to go back to the root. Because if we don't go back to the root, I often say you can, you can chop off the fruit, but if the root is not destroyed, next spring that same tree is going to bear the same fruit. We've got to get to the root. So let me tell you some of the vows I made when I think about my life and the pain that I've experienced. I made a lot of vows. I didn't even know I had made vows. And, and I typically, you know, I had made a lot of vows and I didn't even know that I was making these vows. I didn't speak them audibly, but in my mind, I was thinking them. I would say them over and over again when I thought about the abuse that I had suffered, especially going through broken marriages and being sexually abused by the pastor. I made vows against men, not the man that abused me. I made vows against men because my husband had had an affair and because the pastor had sexually abused me. And so I make this blanket statement that all men were bad, that no man could be trusted. And so I set out to prove that no man could be trusted. I made vows against all pastors, which included male Christian leaders, because those were the ones who had sexually abused me, spiritually abused me, emotionally abused me. And so in my mind, I had developed this vow which also became a lie. And, and I said to myself, how could I trust any of them? How could I trust any of them? And so for decades, even though I had these functioning relationships, I didn't trust them. I kept them at hand's length because I knew at any moment they would abuse me. I expected it. You know, some call it a self-fulfilling prophecy. I just expected them to abuse me. I made vows against women in authority because of my mom being a very strong authoritative person. I wasn't sure that I could trust women. I was afraid of women in authority for a long time. I didn't know how to use my voice. I was afraid to ask for vacation on my job when I was an engineer because I didn't want them to tell me no. 
And so again, is these subtle vows that we make when we experience pain that's, that we put in place to protect us, to shield us from experiencing that again. And so I promised myself that I would never trust a man with my heart. That's what I would do. Yet I wanted to be loved desperately. I wanted to be able to trust a man to love me. And I'm not sure where I came up with the concept in my mind that if someone loves you, they'll never hurt you or disappoint you. Maybe I watched too many Disney movies. I have no idea. I know better now. There's no perfect relationship and someone's going to do something that's going to have me question their trust, but it doesn't mean they're not trustworthy. I've done things where people probably thought they could trust me and learn that I'm human, that maybe I wasn't trustworthy at the time. I, I failed. I didn't follow through. I didn't do what I should have, but that doesn't mean we write people off. And so for me, I'm thankful that I've matured and I've grown. To be honest, I was making these vows in my mind and in my heart, and I didn't even know how many I had made. I just knew that I didn't trust people and that I was dealing with pain. So as you're thinking about your story, as you're thinking about your story and that experience that I've asked you to ponder while we're talking through this, what are you thinking about? Is there anyone that you've written off because they didn't seem to be trustworthy? What vows have you made? What have you said you would never let happen to you again? What have you said you would never, ever let anyone do again, do to you again? Is there a group of people that you have completely written off because of your painful experience? Men, women, uh, leaders, friends. Um, what? Think about it. Think about it. The second was coping. I talked about coping and struggling to try to protect myself because of these experiences. I told you that I protected my heart by having close relationships, but yet they were distant. Many times people would refer to me as their best friend, but I didn't consider them my best friend. I just considered them a friend or an acquaintance. And it's because I learned how to love people well, but I did not necessarily allow them into my space. And it would be, again, until I was in my 40s and going through healing that I really began to trust people again just in these last 10 to 12 years. I feared being rejected so much that I ended relationships before I could be rejected. I was that person that could write you off and end it and go on with my life. Or at least I would tell myself that and give that appearance because I didn't want to be rejected. I didn't know how to deal with rejection. I had been rejected from the time I was in the womb. I was that child that was not expected. There were questions about who my father was. And so I had lived with rejection all my life. If I felt like you were going to reject me or there was going to be some tension, uh, serious tension. Now, it, it, I would deal with everyday stuff. But if, if it came down to whether or not the relationship was going to last or not, I was out. And I was going to be out before you could be out because I didn't want to deal with rejection. That was my coping mechanism. That was my way of protecting my heart. I also coped by controlling circumstances to the point of being a loner. I was afraid to allow anyone to control my life, not my circumstances, not my job, not my finances. I had to be in total control 
because I was afraid if I surrendered any control to you, you might take advantage of me. The truth is, I really wasn't sure you would love me if you knew all of me. Could you love me well? I wasn't sure. I didn't know. And the last way that I coped was through sexual partners. For others, you know, it's addiction to alcohol or addiction to drugs, uh, addiction to food. For me, I had this addiction to men. I, I, the very place that I was broken became the very place of my weakness. And so because I had been sexually abused, this became the place of my brokenness. And I had lovers or partners, but I wasn't going to commit. And so that was my weakness. That was my coping. That was my way of subtly and unknowingly. And I say unknowingly because I don't think I set out to punish men, but because of, again, these vows and you see how this sin plays out because of the vows in my mind and the, the way I was thinking, I did not value men the way I value men today. I did not value myself the way I value myself today. And so I had these coping mechanisms that that had formed and that had developed in order to protect me from being abused again, to protect me from being hurt again, to protect me from feeling the pain again. And what really happened was I was just paralyzing myself. It was layers and layers of paralysis. I was simply wrapping chains around myself because I couldn't let the pain go and the people go to allow me to move forward in my life. And so if you can imagine someone walking with chains on their ankles, I was moving, but I wasn't moving fast because I was locked by these vows and these coping mechanisms and then the lies. So what were the lies then that I believed about myself and about this experience. I told you that I believed that being abused was my fault. When I first, when I was first sexually abused by this pastor, I didn't know of other women. I was unaware of that. I was simply coming to church, minding my business, a young college student in her twenties. I didn't know to look around. I didn't really talk to a lot of people. I really am an introvert by nature. I'm not a person who's outgoing and talkative and all of that. So I was, I had no idea. And so I blamed myself. I really did say I was stupid. I had to be naive to not see this and not understanding. And, and I'm thankful that it only took me eight months, but I'm ashamed that it took me eight months. Eight months is a long time to finally say enough is enough. I really believe the lie that being nice didn't pay off. You know, I was told when I was young, Shonda, you're always nice to people and they're going to take advantage of you. And so when you hear that so many times when you grow up, you believe that lie. And so when the abuses start happening, I believed being nice doesn't pay off because people take advantage of you. That was a lie. I believe that pastors can't be trusted. They have an agenda and it's just a matter of time before they take advantage of you. Those were the lies. So out of these painful experience, these lies begin to form. Men can't be trusted. Pastors can't be trusted. Being nice to people doesn't pay off. Chandra, you're stupid. People are always going to take advantage of you because you're nice. And then there was, I'm not enough. By the time my second husband had multiple affairs, I figured I'm not enough. Here I was a successful engineer living debt free 
living a good life, but I can't keep a man. And so I believe I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not big enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not enough. I could be a size eight, which I was most of my life. I wasn't enough. I go to a size 12. I'm not enough. I don't laugh enough. I'm too serious. I'm too emotional. I'm too sensitive. I'm not enough. Lies. Lies that at the root of it, I really believe that no one would ever love me. And the truth is, I didn't love me. I didn't love who God had created me to be. I didn't know how to be comfortable in my own skin. I didn't know how to use my voice. I didn't know how to simply be that I didn't have to perform and I didn't have to live up to other people's expectations and standards that I could simply be who God created me to be. The last and biggest lie I believed was if Jesus loved me, my best friend, the one who I've been journaling to since I was eight. If Jesus really loved me, he wouldn't have let any of this happen to me. And I began to believe that lie. I didn't leave church right away. I didn't talk about it, but my behavior spoke it. I began to be far away from God in my heart, even though my body was going through the motions. What about you? When you think about your life, what are some of the lies you believe? What are the things that you are processing, even as I speak, that resonate with you when you think about your story? Well, I want to encourage you to start at the root. We talked about that that what, when, where, how, because I want to talk about how I began to rewrite my story. And, and, and we're just going to go through these four areas again about rewriting my story. When I came to Virginia, the first place that I began to rewrite my story was being sexually abused by the pastor. I went into a healing class and I had to deal with that root, the root, that root, who, what, when, where, how, who was it? What did he do to me? How did it happen? Where did it happen? When did it happen? And I had to work through that. I had to unpack that. I had to sit in that space and go back to that experience and look at it. And, and it was during that time that I began to recall the phone calls from women who were going into mental institutions or women who had contacted the organization to have this man removed as a pastor. I had to go back to that root. It was like the dream when the Lord spoke to me in three consecutive dreams to forgive this man that was going back to a root that had me spinning out of control sexually for 20 years. I'm so grateful that it has been 12 years that I've been celibate. Can you imagine 20 years out of control? People told me that I would never be able to live a life according to God's word, that I would never be able to walk upright and live like I live now without sleeping with men and doing all that I was doing. But I'm so grateful that men are not God and God is truth. You see, that was a lie. But God's truth says that I can with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when I went to that route, I was able to go to that route and then identify the vows I had made. I told you one of the vows was that I didn't trust men. Another vow was I didn't trust pastors. And when I came to Virginia, I attended a church with a man, a man who was the pastor, ha ha ha, a, a church with a man 
who is such a humble man, but he is the first person that began rebuilding my trust in godly men, in pastors, in spiritual leaders. And I'm so grateful that in 12 years, I've been able to open up my heart and trust pastors and spiritual leaders again. I have some of the best Christian brothers that I could ever ask for here in Virginia because I was willing to go to that root and destroy it. This root that had been rotting in my heart and in my soul for 20 years, a root from one man that had spread in me and had shaped how I did relationships with people around me. And once that root was destroyed, I was able to begin to live a new life. So when you begin to think about it, ask the Lord, what are the, what is the root? Who is the root? Who, what, when, where, and how? Take the time to write it out and then ask the Holy Spirit, what are the vows that I made when this happened? What did I say I would never do? And then pray to break the vows, especially those who cover an entire group. Lord, I renounce, I break this vow that all men can't be trusted. That is a lie because men can be trusted. That man could not be trusted, but there are men who can be trusted. All men are not bad. I break that vow that I will never trust a man. I will trust a man and I can trust a man. And, and here's something that I came up with not long ago. And, and, and I simply say to myself, when, when my hippocampus brings a memory, I say, they are not them. He is not him. She is not her. This is not that. You get it? They are not them. He is not her. He is not him. She is not her. This is not that. This is not that situation from 20 years ago where I was abused. This is not that. This is not that when I was sexually abused. This is not that. This man is not that man. This pastor is not that pastor. In other words, I don't want my past to prevent me from living in the present. And I don't want the pain of someone else to prevent me from having a relationship in my present or my future. This is not that they are not them. They have a right to live and be who they are. And the only way I can do that and give them that opportunity and that space is to identify the root and break the vow. Identify the root and the, break the vow. And once I break the vow, then I begin to renounce the lies. I refuse to allow the past and what I believed to dictate how I walk out life. To renounce means to refuse to follow or obey by declaration. So you declare truth. You replace the lie with truth and you declare it. Men are God's creation and they are a good gift. My brother loves me. He cares for me. He protects me and he watches out for me. And I have a good brother biologically and I have great spiritual brothers as well. I can trust them with my life. I can trust them with my soul. I can trust them to protect me. I can trust them not to abuse me. I can trust them not to take advantage of me. They love me. They love all of me. And so I renounce the lies that I believed, and I declare God's truth. Some of the things that, that I do to renounce truth is I will Google topics if I need to. I will to find scripture to replace the lies with God's truth. 
I will sing songs. I will think truth. I will read truth. I will pray truth. I will take every thought captive and hear me. I will say to myself, they are not them, Chandra. When my hippocampus brings that memory up, they are not them, Chandra. This is not that. So identify the root, break the vows, renounce the lies and the lasses, learn new coping skills, learn new coping skills. We talked about the hippocampus and the first place I'll start is rewriting the memories with new emotions. Tell your hippocampus a new story. I'm telling my hippocampus a new story. And I've said it over and over already. They are not them and this is not that. So when my hippocampus begins to recall a memory that was a painful experience, when I feel that trigger, that emotion rise up, I remind my hippocampus that they are not them and this is not that. Now, your hippocampus is probably like my hippocampus and it's there to protect me, which is why it has the memories and my emotions. And so it may not respond right away. And so sometimes I have to say, give the situation or the experience a chance to play out. So first I tell it they are not them. This is not that. And then I say to myself, give it a chance. Let's let it play out. Let's just let it play out. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Let's just let it play out. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to let it play out. Sometimes it means that I had to go and repent to a brother and say, hey, I didn't trust you because of the pain I experienced. And that's hard. And it's not because of what he did. It's because of what someone else did. But because I want to give my hippocampus a new story, I want to rewrite my story. Sometimes it means going to someone you love and say, hey, I penalized you because of what someone else did in my past. And I don't want to penalize you any longer. It's not fair. It's wrong. And I'm sorry. So will you forgive me for not honoring you because of a memory I had of what someone else did to me? Give the situation or the experience a chance to play out. The third thing I do is I believe in a new or better outcome. And, and I'll do a whole podcast on belief and what you believe in your foundation. But I want to believe that there are good people and that what happened to me in the past does not mean that it's going to happen to me in the future. That just because someone may act somewhat like a person of my past doesn't mean they are the person of my past and the outcome is going to become the same. I believe in a new or a better outcome. And that's what rewriting your story is all about. It's rewriting the memory. It's, it's allowing yourself to look back and say they are not them, that what happened then doesn't have to happen now or in the future. It's about giving life another chance, a situation, another chance and believing in a better outcome. That's rewriting. So now it's your turn to take some time to rewrite your story of that one experience I asked you to think about as I was talking. Think about the root. Identify it and destroy it. Break the vows. Renounce the lies. Learn new coping skills. Set aside some quiet time to work through these steps and watch what happens. You too can experience the same freedom I've experienced as you rewrite your story. And I'm excited to hear your testimony of what happens when you take this time to look at pain. It's not always pleasant, but remember, we can't avoid it. 
We're going to experience it as long as we're here in this earth. So we may as well be proactive and get to it. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Rewrite Your Story. Subscribe now and don't forget to share us with your friends. We are excited to have you join us on this journey. And I hope that the tips that you're learning, you can apply to your life right away. Remember, it's not too late to redeem your past and rewrite your future. May your pain become a platform to live with renewed purpose. Have a marvelous day.